0: Welcome to yet another episode of the Revenue Champions Podcast. Today we are joined by actually one of my favorite guests so far to date, Del Yasanuga, coming to us with knowledge bomb after knowledge bomb. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Stay tuned. Super excited to get into this conversation today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Revenue Champions. Uh, you've got myself, the host, Ryan Reiser, and today I'm joined by Dale Yasunaga. Dale, the Sales Mastery Crew, what's that all about? Tell us a little bit more about you and, and what you're up to these days.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, first, you know, appreciate the, the opportunity to be on. And, um, you know, the Sales Mastery Crew is uh, a community I recently started because um, you know, I wanted to give a place for people, sales reps and business owners that are sales minded, a place for them to go ask questions, network, learn. Uh, we do live trainings every week um, you know, with me and, and other folks who come in to talk about different topics. We just did one this past Sunday, for example, on frameworks for handling objections, which is uh, something I know sales professionals uh, always want to get better at. And, um, you know, I'm all about uh, coaching and developing salespeople. I've been in sales for 17 years. I started uh, as a college dropout after one semester of, of school. It's like, hey, I'm going to go pursue a career in something that I uh, I enjoy. And, um, you know, being able to, to see what a sales career has done for me, my family, my life. Uh, I'm, I have uh, what I call a romantic attachment to the sales profession. Uh, I just uh, I love it. So. You know, my focus now is helping people uh, kind of get the coaching. I, I see a lot of um, opportunity where people are under-trained and under-coached um, just in the nature of how sales training usually is in corporate America, especially. So yeah, I, I decided to start it, uh, start this six months ago because uh, I wanted to help more people than just the company that that I was working at, so
0: yeah. Amazing. And uh, you said you ran these on Sundays. How's that going? You get a pretty good audience uh, on the, on the weekends? Jumping into those lives? So
1: the community, it just launched a few weeks ago. So, you know, we've had, um, it was kind of finding a time. And interestingly, I've got some folks uh, from the States, some from the UK, kind of all over the world. So finding a time that works for everybody. And I'm here in Hawaii. So I think a time that works for everybody is always challenging. Um, But in terms of like the number of people in the community who've attended live, it's been pretty good. About 40, 50% who can attend live. And then almost everybody watches the recording. So I know that, you know, they're getting the, the value out of that.
0: That's awesome. I was just just super curious myself because I'm seeing more and more engagement on weekends. People seem to be thirsty to, you know, even even LinkedIn. You know, they're pretty active and live. So doing a live a live event on a Sunday that's uh, that's uh, that's something new to me. So I was curious to see what the engagement was like. So, um, and it's pretty clear that you and I share a similar passion in trying to level our profession. Um, you know, like you, I. Fell in love with sales. I like that romantic attachment uh, comment. So, <laughs> uh, appreciate the background on what you're up to. Um, you know, you've you're a pretty big uh, video fan. Um, you've used video in the past, TikTok, so on LinkedIn. Um, do you think sales reps are doing enough video? you talk about live shows and things like that. Do you think videos video for sales reps is important these days? Absolutely. Thousand
1: percent. I think it's, and it's interesting for me, you know, I appreciate the compliments on the video content. Me, I'm a, I'm an an introvert by nature. I I posted a a photo a couple weeks or a week ago on LinkedIn about, you know, uh, I, I was the high school chess guy. I I ran the chess club. Like, you know, I was the most classic introvert in school that, that you might imagine. And so for me, it's interesting where I, as I'm coaching people and talking to them, hey, hey, you got to get out in front of the camera and video. It's an interesting shift because, you know, 15 years ago, I never would have imagined that I'd be comfortable doing that. But the reason I am advocating for it and I think it's important is um, in the sales coaching that I do, one of the things I talk a lot about is a concept called pattern disruption. You know, needing there are Bureau of Labor Statistics in, in the United States in 2021 said there are, what, 14 million uh, 14 million people who are have the title sales rep. So, 14 you, million. Yeah, and that's just the people that like, you know, title sales the, people. Yeah, the BLS can can find. So, if there are 14 million people who are making billions of of emails per day, calls per day. Like, what is it that you're going to do to stand out? And not very many of them are doing video. And in this world, especially where you know, the remote aspect has become uh, more and more obviously mainstream accepted, but we're losing sort of that, that face-to-face connection. Well, video kind of helps you get there, right? It, it helps convey personality. I think your tonality comes across a lot better. So I think it's a missed opportunity, not only from just a better way to communicate, but it's also a way for, for people to stand out uh, in the way that they communicate. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of reps aren't taking advantage of it, and it's something that they should and you're never going, just like picking up the phone for the first time, you're never going to nail it on the first try, right? I, I look back at the first uh, 20 pieces of content I put out and I just cringe at it. <laughs> oh, boy, that, that was bad. I, why did I say that? That was dumb. I, I should have cut out these whole like 30 seconds. Um, but that's OK. You just got to get started on it. You'll refine it and find out what works over time. Um but, you know, the best time to plant a fruit tree was 20 years ago, right? The old saying, the best, the next best time is today. Like, it's going to take time. So you like, get started today and, and stand out now before, you know, it sort of gets to be a crowded field.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting the statistics you bring up there. Um, I didn't realize there was that many um, that's who call themselves salespeople. But when you put things into that perspective, like imagine the competition you have, not just like your your competition for what you sell, but the competition for like being heard. And it's not just the other sellers, but then there's just everything else too. Right. Um, how do you stand out in, uh, an email or a a LinkedIn message, or in this case, even just producing content? Um, I think you're spot on there. Uh, and the reality is the consumption. Uh, and like our attention these days, it seems like you know if it's not in a video, it's almost like, ah, I don't know, I don't know, um, at least for me pers- personally. So just being heard is is it's important to think about that that medium. Um, so I love I love that that you have that perspective. Um, a lot of times, I think that sales reps struggle with understanding what to say or how to say it, um, where they're creating content for what purpose. But do you have any like tips or, um, ideas for folks to be able to leverage video, but still effectively kind of provide value um, versus just like, hey, here's a video for video's sake. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. So when you're first getting started out, like like me and my first batch of videos, you know, it it's part of it's just experimentation. You're going to, have to find out what, what resonates with the audience. But in general, I would say, I, I think of especially short Form content. So things like TikTok. Uh, YouTube's a little different because you, you know, you're recording 10, 15, 20 minute pieces of content. But short form video, the analogy I draw there is it's similar to effective cold email communications. It's mm-hmm. it's short, it's concise, it's to the point, it provides some kind of immediate value without a lot of buildup. So when you look at, you know, a lot of successful videos, they talk about uh, the hook, right? That first three seconds is like, okay, somebody needs to understand in that first three seconds why why would I bother to watch the remaining twenty seconds? Um, and I, you know, also think there's a parallel there to uh, phone prospecting. I think the first seven seconds, you're not trying to sell the meeting in the first seven seconds. You're selling in the first seven seconds of a phone call why that person should give you another twenty to you know to hear you out. So it, it's all about you know, being concise to the point, offering something of value. And I think, you know, there, there's this idea, right, of, oh, original content, original content. And for me, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, in the opposite direction in that I believe that there's not really, if you really, really think about it, there's not really any original ideas anymore. I mean, there's just, there's 8 billion people on the planet thinking of stuff like, The the idea that you're going to come up with something that's truly, absolutely unicorn and unique uh, to talk about in a 20-second video with a prospect is is not realistic. What does come across, though, and what you should try to do is offer perspective, right? So it might be a piece of information that you think, well, this prospect, you know, probably already has it, or another rep from another company's emailed them a content PDF that talks about it similarly, but in that video message or your cold email, whatever it might be, is there a unique perspective that you have or that a somebody you've worked with has that you can offer that person that makes them go, huh, I knew a thing, but I never quite thought of it that way. And even just like a slight shift might be that thing that makes them click and go, oh, this is worth like thinking about more, exploring more. So. I would say focus less on trying to be like completely unique and original in the thought uh, or like the piece of information you're trying to share versus offering a different perspective. Because I think that's especially executive decision makers, right? They're looking for people that can tell them something they don't know or think or help them understand something in a different way than they know. Uh, they don't want to just hear, or a CFO doesn't want to hear, oh, you know, impending recession, potentially, you need to do a better job of of doing more with the resources you have. They're like, I'm a CFO. That's exactly what I do. But if you can <laughs> offer kind of a, a unique perspective in how to approach that, that maybe another CFO you work with had, like, it's all about that. Uh, it's about that context and perspective. So I think that now, then the art and the practice of recording is how do you condense that down into like a 30 second, you know, video. Um but it's really kind of formulating it from that frame of mind, I think.
0: Okay. Well, so, you know, we're talking a lot about video, how it could be a pattern dis- uh, disruptor. And you've, you've talked about this a lot on uh, LinkedIn. I think there's a post you mentioned about helping a CFO. Uh, you know, you used a, dist- uh, a cold calling pattern disrupt to get to a CFO, ultimately became a customer. You mentioned this a little bit about the differences between a video first three seconds versus a call. First, maybe seven seconds. Can you tell us a little bit more about any techniques? Uh, SDR, my, this is my passion, the cold calling. Any techniques you have for a pattern disruption for cold calling uh, that you've used effectively in the past? Yeah, I think
1: you know. So, uh, like I mentioned before, there are so many people who are sales reps, right? And so, not only um, competing for attention within your space, so whether you sell, you know, a SaaS product or, or, or physical product or whatever category you're in. But when I was a copier rep, you know, for example, um, when I was selling in, in the Midwest area, sometimes I would call and and the decision maker would be like, you're the seventh copier rep to call this week. And if they expanded on that sort of frustration, they probably would be able to say, you're like the 20th sales rep overall to right. call this week. And I think the idea of pattern disruption is all around, okay, so if, if I'm going to the assumption that I'm not going to be the first person, even in my category, who's calling this this contact this week or even today, how am I going to differentiate from the other calls that they're hearing every day, every week, every month? And when you look at corporate sales training is a good like what not to do guide because corporate sales training, they're teaching millions of reps to do the same thing, right? Hey, uh, you know, calling, I'm Dale from XYZ company. How are you doing today? Or, you know, do you have two minutes? Did I catch you at a bad time? So these things all, once we kind of get used to them, you know, these decision makers are used to hearing these things. And so when they hear that for them, it's a trigger in their mind. Oh, this is a sales call, which immediately brings up their initial resistance, even though it might be something of value to them. They kind of have that initial resistance. It's kind of like how I think everybody's universal trait that when we walk into a car dealership, when the car, the salesman walks up to us and asks us, hey, what brought you in today? We're like, no, I'm just looking, right? I'm just browsing. Like, it's just even though you were there to buy a car, like your intention was to walk into the dealership to buy something, you're still telling the salesperson, like, "Don't no, go away from me. And I think it's because it's that natural defensive barrier. So pattern disruption in concept for me is all about how do we uh, start the conversation in a way that doesn't bring up automatic defensiveness? Because why invite more challenge than we need to have? Um you're basically trying to, how do you stand out from the hundreds or thousands of other reps that are in your area calling the people you know that you're calling? So that's ditching those these these phrases, right? Did I catch you at a bad time? Yeah, 15 seconds. Um, how are you doing today? You know, these kind of, these platitudes that sound like we should say them just to be nice or that's what courteous people say, but ultimately they're costing you the, you know, valuable seconds in that first seven seconds you've got um, to convince them to, to give you the next 20. The example you mentioned uh, that I posted on LinkedIn was a CFO that I called. I was in the copier business and, you know, his response to me as soon as I um, opened up the call was, you're like, you know, let me guess, you're going to tell me you can save me time and money. Because clearly he had heard, you know, he's a CFO. He's heard that ad nauseum right throughout his whole career. And I said, you know, hey, that is a secondary outcome of, of why I'm calling. So immediately I'm giving him a phrase back. He said, like, Oh, well, why would saving time and money be not the primary purpose of, of me buying something? Right. Cause that's sort of the outcomes he's used to being sold. And I went into, you know, conversation with him. I said, Hey, but the reason I'm calling is because I know that if you can accomplish those two things, cause they're a nonprofit, every dollar you save is a dollar you put toward helping another child. And for him, it was, Oh, okay. I'd never heard anybody call and frame the, the you know what they're trying to help me with is actually accomplish my mission. So that for him was a disruption of okay, I, I'd heard that, that save time and money, be more efficient, you know whatever, whatever. Um, and I'm saying the same thing, but I'm focusing on the outcome that he would care about. And interestingly enough, even that slight tweak was enough for him to go, I I'd never heard a sales rep say that. Yep. So it you know it immediately lowered his defenses, and he's intrigued. Oh, let me this person is worth giving like the next 20 seconds to, to talk about meeting. So I think that's really key and important. So how do you approach that is take everything, you know, you could go through an exercise, write down all the things you think sales reps are saying, or the majority are saying. And how do you modify that? Oh, sometimes to be in the opposite direction, just to break somebody's initial pattern of what they're expecting on that call.
0: Yeah. I love that. Um, My perspective on, openers. I mean, I make a lot of cool calls. I do a lot of uh, uh, programs with uh, different, different companies and in different industries, different segments, B2C, uh, B2B, SaaS services, enterprise, SMB, you name it, I'm making those calls. And what I found is that everybody seems to have an opinion on um, you know, different sections of how, you, how do you use the call. But for me, it's been about consistency and confidence. And the idea of having a pattern disruptor that keeps you a little bit different and moving away from the grain is, is, is important. And I find that, to your point, what might be working in some segments where, you know, like the have I got you at a bad time, you have a half a minute. Connect to Sell has their, their famous 27 seconds, which now a lot of people use, which gets a little bit worn out, right? It gets a little bit worn out. But if you use that not selling to SaaS companies and you go and, you know, use that to like a homeowner you know, it could crush. And so um, a pattern disruptor doesn't necessarily mean for everybody. It's like thinking, like you said, like in that area, how is that call being made by everyone else? And maybe if you go against the grain, you might find success. Um, you know, what we've done recently, uh, and we be published now more and more people are using this now. But there's a ebook that was brought out by a gentleman named Townsend Wardlaw a few years ago, The Art of Cold Calling. And his call starts by saying, the only reason for my call is to set a meeting. And it's like really interesting because the first time I read that, I'm like, what the heck? Like, (laughs) you didn't even tell him, like, there's no context. Everyone's going to tell you, everyone's going to tell you to F off or whatever, right? But if you try that, and today we do this a lot, if you try that, it's a pattern disruptor. Uh, If you try that, 70, 80% of the time, people go, wait a second, you didn't even tell me what you do. And so that's what you're trying to do right you're trying to get them to yep. hear something differently yep. to ask the magic words and and i think that's just genius right if you're thinking about you're hitting a wall it feels like everyone's responding with hey you're the seventh person to say this let me guess like this is a great opportunity for you to think differently and and be on our toes i love that story um and cold calling man it's it can suck right we, we I, I think both of us uh can relate on this um, um but uh some of the things that we're talking about at Cognizant right now is trying to get your cold call mojo back, right? Trying to get your cold call mo- mojo back. Um, and for for me, it's about the t- detaching from outcomes, focusing on conversations. Um, what are some of the ways that uh, you think reps can can use to get their mojo back? Anything anything besides pattern disruptors, or just maybe just detaching from uh, outcomes that that you preach or think about that help others to to get more excited about cold calling?
1: Yeah, you know, co-calling, you know, like you said, I, I mean, I've somebody has made probably tens of thousands of calls in his career. Uh, it it can be a grind, right? And it can. It's a it's a big mental battle, oftentimes against yourself. Um, so for me, you know, for myself and the teams that I've led and people that I've, I've coached or companies I've consulted with. Part of, I think, what people can do, especially if you have a team with you, is to sort of gamify the like, how do you make how do you make co calling fun, right? So co calling can be draining. How do you add energy back into it? Um, and, and some of them can be silly, but, but sort of that might sometimes that's the point is to just make add some levity to what it is. You know, we view as kind of this is important, but can be feel like a grind sometimes aspect of, of successful selling. So you know one thing uh Landon Meyer and I shared on LinkedIn a few weeks ago was a, a cold call objection bingo card and I used to do that with teams it's like okay like first one to to get all the objections like to get bingo on the bingo card yeah. you know get something uh, it doesn't have to be significant but but you know just reframing uh, you know hey okay like I might get these objections but hey it's fun. we're we're you know and and we're trying to to hear and and I've seen some that get like super specific uh where it's like okay <laughs> and and it's interesting um I was working for a company dealership in Minnesota one time and we did the cold call bingo thing. And we decided to go one week with a really unique one where it was like very, very specific objections. Like <laughs> you're, you're, like, like, you're, 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 you're seeking know.
0: these out by your questions. <laughs> and, and no, absolutely.
1: And when it ended up happening, you hear on the calls in the bullpen that people were uh, starting to like ask these really specific uh, questions that almost seemed like they were trying to get the objection. But, but interesting, what we found was because – they altered their talk track to be like that pointed that it, I think part of it was a pattern where They were saying things that people weren't expecting, but because they were being so concise and firm on like a stance that they were getting, they weren't getting mild reactions. They were getting very firm, like, Hey, I agree with that statement or, Hey, that's a, that's completely wrong, which interestingly let, you know, it carry the conversation forward. So again, so you can use gamification to, To make things more fun, but oftentimes, you know, what you'll find is that given the right uh, sort of uh, thought process, it can also make things more effective um, from a technical standpoint. The other thing I I think of as well is how do you motivate yourself through the calls? So I did a video um, a few weeks ago where I talked about, hey, when I, you know, when I was a a first time AE, every time I picked up the phone, even if I got a no, I made $6.67. And it was because I took all, you know, I was making 50 to 70 dials a day. My, um, You know, when I was a young AE, I, I just kind of made right around 100 grand, right Right, that six-figure mark. And so I thought, okay, take how many calls I make, divide into what I make. So, And this is what I make every time I pick up the phone because I know that every no is, is one no closer to the yes I need to, to earn. Yeah. And for me, so when I went through a string of like 10 really bad calls or like 10 calls where it was a flat-out no or I didn't get an answer – I think to myself, well, it just took me 10 minutes to make those 10 calls and made $66.70, right? Because it's sort of, and I had that actually on a post-it in my, on my desk because, hey, every dollar you make, whether they say yes or no, you just made seven bucks, right? So just to remind yourself that that the outcomes that we want in in terms, of especially if you're uh, money motivated you're driven toward income, requires all this sweat equity. So why not remind yourself of that, right? And, and hey, like, that was a tough no, but... In the aggregate i'm still moving i'm moving the chain right on on getting to that goal so there are sort of sort of mental tricks like that that i've recommended and had people use uh in regardless of industry because i think it's sort of universal to think about oh okay well yeah that was a no but i'm still getting something out of this this progression right um sort of a a maybe oldie but a goodie is also like how much energy do you have when you're calling not only because so Brian Tracy said, right, that 50% of selling is the transfer of enthusiasm from you to whoever you're selling to. But I think the missing element to that thought is that when you generally have energy, it it also just picks you up, right? So it's not so much about, Hey, conveying enthusiasm so that Ryan who I'm calling says, Hey, this guy's excited about what he's talking about. So I'm, I maybe piques my interest and I want to meet, but do you have that sustained energy? Do you kind of have that energy, and it does it pick you up to to call the next person? There was a guy I won't I won't say his name, but I'll say his nickname that we worked with um, at a copier dealership. It was a team of like twenty reps, and um, his nickname was was Gunslinger because every time he was on the phone, uh, he would gesticulate. He'd, he'd be talking like this the whole time And you know, <laughs> on the phone. So his, his nickname was Gunslinger, and his his thing was he would if he had 10 bad calls in a row he sitting at his desk would make the next 10 calls on speakerphone and and so the whole bullpen could hear it and for him it was a game like okay like i'm going to show like people who are near me that i can make these calls like and when you know he would get a rough objection and he would work his way through it so he you know found that way to make it fun and energizing for him it was kind of like that that game time performance, right? Like, okay, like the pressure's on, people are hearing me. Like I want to show them that I can do this, even though I just had 10 bad calls in a row. So it's these kind of um things that we can do to energize ourselves. And you just need to figure out which one is motivating to you, right? Do you do you work better under the pressure to perform? Do you work better um, you know, on if it's if it's light and humorous? And so how do you incorporate that?
0: I love that. The the cold call bingo um concept. Uh I, I remember seeing that post recently. I was like, that's a really great idea. Um, I think it's super smart to try to do that specific those specific objections to your point. Like that's a great way to train those specific questions that may not be asked. I think that's not just a motivator for the rep, but like a great training mechanism if you're a leader listening to this to get your reps to ask those more difficult questions. Um, trying to elicit the response that it's not necessarily an objection. It's the information we're trying to receive, right? That that very mm-hmm. pointed. So I love that idea you had. I also think that the um, your idea of reverse engineering—I call that the math of sales, right? So how many dials does it take to get a conversation? How many conversations does it take to get a meeting? How many meetings to get an opportunity? Opportunity to close? I always use that concept to help me understand what I need to do, and I've also used that for organizations to understand the cost of each of those mechanisms, like. Hey, company, did you know? And it's funny, you said $6.66. It's like, it's probably between 6 and $10 every time someone dials. But the fact that you flip that to, it's not like from a sales rep perspective, it's like, no, I'm making that because that is what you're making, right? If you take your base plus your commission, every time you click that dial button, that's, t- that's six bucks in your bank account. That's what it is if you keep doing it because your math of sales, you know that, if you do this many dials, you're going to have this many conversations and this many, you know, like I, I freaking love that. I love that idea. And it's just a different thought process of how to leverage like the reality of it. Right. Because that's, what's going to happen if you're a true sales master as you are here, Dale. Um, and then, and then the final piece, uh, around, the, uh, bringing it in public, you know, uh, it's funny, the, uh, the motivators we have, but, um, there's, uh, you know, you're talking about landing in nooks and, different tools like that. So if you're a virtual seller, um, you know, finding ways to maybe invite people in, even if it's just a zoom or something like a nooks where you can call along other people, um, that could be motivating in a remote mile. Those are all really, really great tips. Thank you for sharing. and get me, you, you, you express, you pass your enthusiasm over to me. But <laughs> yeah. gonna... I think that last
1: point you made is great. So when the, when the pandemic hit, right, I was working at a company where we're traditionally outside We're we're, ter- we're regional and that we, we were selling just to people that we could physically go see, uh, yeah. which is easier to do in the state of Hawaii because most of us live on this one island, right? <laughs> yeah. go and, go and see them. But when the pandemic hit and I was like, okay, well, you can't do that anymore. You kind of lost that where the team was together in the office. And, and, you know, this was obviously before like tools like nooks and things like that really um, were available. So to your point, what we did was we just blocked time each day, um, or on a regular basis. So, okay, we're you know some of the reps got together. So okay, we're going to do calls. We're going to jump on Zoom and we're just going to round robin it. Like this person will will make a call. We'll hear. put it on speaker so we can hear the back and forth while the other reps listen in. And yeah, I'm entering you know notes from my previous call that I was on, but I'm listening. And inadvertently, it was like, oh, that was a really good way that you addressed that. Or hey, like that was struggling. You know that call was a, a battle. Why don't you try this next time? And so you know that and that helped. Once people kind of got over the nerves of like performing in front of their peers, that they found was that hey, this is this is great for others to hear me, but I'm all I'm also getting great feedback. So yeah, even if you're remote, like how do you find ways to to bring people in with you, even if it's just twenty minutes a day, like yeah. it's gonna sharpen yourself.
0: Right? So. Yeah, no, I I I just absolutely love that. Um, I want to get back into some of the things you focus on. Obviously, you have a community. You're getting people to up love their skills. Um, one of your posts recently mentioned that reps probably don't mess, uh, invest enough in themselves. Uh, you know, less than a hundred dollars, uh, on books and seminars and coaching. Like that's pretty crazy. I don't know where you got that stat from. Um, that that's like, is that like the average, like a rep spends less than a hundred bucks on themselves? Is that annual? Uh, yeah. So
1: in, in the United States, um, I don't, I I'll go try and dig up the link, but, uh, I think it was a Forbes article that said that, you know, people in the selling profession, um, on average United States of America, I think they make like about 57,000 a year. What's the number? It was 57 or 47, um, but one of those two. And, but conversely, you know, that they want to, but they, they only invest less than $100 a year in their own sort of skill development. I took that a step further in my post and said, okay, so I, I, you know, I've been a sales leader for half my career. So I've interviewed hundreds of reps and I can tell you with without a shadow of a doubt, whenever I've asked the question, what is it that you want to earn? Everybody says six figures or more. There's nobody says I only want to earn sixty thousand dollars, right? So, right. so I'm like, okay. So if everybody I've ever talked to who wants to be in sales wants to earn hundred k at a minimum, but Forbes says data that says that the average rep only invests hundred dollars or less a year. That's point oh, you know, that's point one percent. Uh, you know, investment in oneself to develop a skill that you to, you know, to get that amount of return. And, and by the way, you want that, you're going to make a hundred grand plus a year, right? It's not like a, a one-time thing. Yeah. So that kind of blew my mind. I was like, wow, like that, that to me doesn't make a lot of sense. And, 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 you know, if I want to have a skill that can make me a hundred and quite frankly, I mean, if you develop your sales skills, you're not looking at a hundred grand a year, you're looking at 200, potentially 300 and more. hundred percent. Yeah. Like, you know, what is, um, thousand bucks a year on something or forfeit you know I a later post of mine that i posted late last week was that this year you know i, I try to not just say things but also i'm a big believer in you you should walk the walk and talk the talk right this year i've invested seventeen thousand dollars in myself on certifications additional sales skills i have a coach that helps me work on an area that i think uh, i haven't developed very well and a lot of people look at it well that's a lot of money and like well but i'm yeah. also look Going after making three hundred, four hundred thousand plus a year. So seventeen thousand is that's like six percent. Like, is that if if somebody said, hey, you know, invest in a skill set or go invest in the stock market, you know, six percent of, of what you hope to get, most people would go, oh, that's something I should look into, right? That that's attractive. Um, so yeah, so it's just interesting when I came across that article of you know, that that's so little investment for something that can be such a huge return you know, for your career.
0: Well, I think, I think it's interesting the way you've talked about thinking about money as a seller. And like from this, so going back to the map, like, hey, every time I click the button, it's six bucks. So you're clearly thinking about like, the activities I do produce income. And that's how most salespeople should be thinking if they're not already. And this idea of like, well, if I'm an average seller, I'm only gonna make $60,000. But if I'm an average seller, I only invest hundred dollars myself. What would happen if I, what if I, what if I, what if I invested a thousand dollars? Does like what would that do? Um, and it's a really interesting thought experiment, and also really surprising to me um, that it's a hundred bucks or less. Just for me, it's like I, <laughs> I like I'm like an Audible addict or something. I have like you know, it's like every time someone's like, oh, hey, where's that book? It's like bye buy, buy. So it's really interesting to see the. The different mindsets there. Um, are there any resources, tools, things that you would recommend someone is now listening to this now and saying, "Wow, maybe I do want to make some investments that they should think about." And I know there's a lot of really great free, free stuff out there, but let's talk about like ponying up and making some money, like paying. You, you mentioned you have a coach uh, that you're investing in. Um, what other things do you think people should think about, like putting their money behind to actually really up level their skills?
1: Yeah, so, you know, if you're just getting started and things like that, I mean, I understand the attraction of the free resources, right? And, and there are great free resources out there that help you kind of gain knowledge. The The illustration there that I usually talk to people about, though, is that when you look at – but, you know, if you want to be a top performer, right? So if you if – let's look at uh, everybody probably has seen a Marvel movie or two, right, in their life so far. And in, in a, you know, inevitably there's going to be the scene in the Marvel movie where the lead – you know, shows off their, their superhero physique, right? Well, Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans didn't get that physique by going and watching free exercise videos on YouTube, or even going and buying like a P90X DVD and and following, right? Like that, that's not how they've reached that level of, of performance and what they need to do.
0: The infomercial says it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right.
1: Um, just watch this DVD and you'll look like Chris no, it'll, you know, it'll work out that way. So you know the reason I bring that up is that I, you know free resources are fine and they can put you on the right path, but eventually you're going to want like these actors. Or you know, in, uh, in this example, you're going to need to find a way to channel that into much more specific tactical execution. So whether that's you know looking for a coach, um, and there are many like myself out there that have you know programs like that. Or if you want to just even go from like, hey, I'm looking at free resources to I want to actually go and and do some peer learning. So joining, you know, there are a lot of great organizations out there that offer more like that, that kind of group and community learning, you know, places like Pavilion and, and Rev Genius and so on and so forth. Like you don't have to immediately go in and say, hey, I'm going to invest, you know, thousands and thousands in a direct coach if you want to, hey, more power to you. And, and I think you'll you're going to see some shortcutting because if they can, especially if they're effective and they can do, uh, you know, what they say they can do, but at the very least, like how do you start moving away from those free resources? Because knowledge is one thing, but like how to implement it is another, right? And especially, I think one thing you get is this diffusing effect where somebody watches all these YouTube videos, they listen to all these free podcasts and things like that. Again, they're gaining on knowledge, which is not necessarily bad, but if they don't know how to distill that into like a cohesive sales motion for themselves, whether it's in their particular um, industry or if they own a business, like how do you apply that to my business? It it just becomes knowledge, right? Like, you know, I I understand the basic concepts around how to work out and, and lift weights and things like that. But I, I'm never going to, you know, be a Chris Hemsworth physique just on just with what I know, I need somebody who can help guide that conversation. So in terms of investing, I think there are different levels, books and things like that are a great place to start. But once you start getting that knowledge, you need to find a way to implement and systematize that. And so do you go with like a community approach who can help with that? Or do you go find a coach? Short of paying, right? Also, do, are there good opportunities to have a mentor or a coach within your circle? Um I typically would recommend it somebody outside of your sales organization, just because I think having that outside lens is good. Um, but I think not even even though that technically doesn't cost money, they're not invoicing you for that. I think a lot of people aren't also investing the time to go and find who that mentor could be for them. Right? They're not being proactive about it. Um, and like anything in sales, right? Those who are more proactive and diligent about driving their outcomes with, you know, do their own action versus waiting for things to happen will come on ahead. So,
0: yeah, I mean, that's, it's so, so, so important. I, uh, I used to think of like coaches and even, you know, therapy and all that stuff is like woo woo, fluffy, fluffy stuff. But um, I buckled down and got, I got a coach uh, several years ago and um, I met him through uh, just like a networking event and when I was living in Austin. And from that day on, I've always had a coach because of the, a lot of the reason you're talking about right now, there's just so many different gaps that you might have at the different stages of your development. And they help you see those blind spots that you might not be aware of, you know? Um, and uh, if I was younger in my career, that's one of the things that I wish I would have found earlier. I um, they're much more prevalent, or at least I'm more aware of them now than I used to be. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's such a massive... Difference when you have someone you can turn to, especially outside your organization, where you can kind of lay the ground. Because we we all drink the Kool Aid, you know. We all have that. We all have access to that same knowledge, and maybe even the same person telling. But everyone has a lot of different perspectives, and we shared a couple of different ideas today, you know, around disruptors and things like that. That if you're all in the same bullpen all the time, all the same messaging, you won't get that perspective. So I think that's it's a really good piece of advice. And another thing you had talked about recently is one of your quotes here is that SDRs are these pure pipeline machines. Like if people are thinking about getting into sales, seriously, SDR is the way to get started. Um, why do you like the SDR role so much? Why do you think it's so crucial um, in, yeah. in, the, in the, the larger sales landscape? So
1: uh, first off is a little bit of jealousy because when I first got started as a full cycle AE 15, 17, 16 years ago, there's no such thing as an SDR. <laughs> so it's like, I don't. You got to go on. you only eat what you kill yourself, right? So you have to go out and, and find yep. that. Um, so part of it is a little jealousy. But, but stepping back from that, um, you know, for the business itself, it, it makes a lot of sense, right? You, if you have people who are really effective at discovery, moving into the presentation proposal phase and closing, like that's their a, your ABC time management theory the more they spend in that A-time activity, they they get double the return in terms of productivity. So like you want them to be focused on that as much as you can. So organizationally, I think companies, it makes a lot of sense. For people getting into sales though, so, you know, I've been in in this for 17 years. Um, I've personally hired and trained and coached over 100 sales reps. And I can say that the biggest differentiator between especially like more tenured by years rep and somebody coming in who's, who's newer is pipeline, right? Pipeline cures every single sales wall that anybody may encounter is cured by a big healthy pipeline. And it can be overwhelming, I think. And some of the people that are coaching clients of mine have expressed that they're full cycle AEs. Like oh, I'm, I'm overwhelmed because I'm I need to figure out how to drive pipeline. At the same time, I need to figure out You know, I need to develop better discovery skills, closing skills, objection handling, like all these things. So I think if you're new, if you're thinking getting into sales, being in an SDR role where you're focused on just that first part, which is, in my experience, the most crucial. Because you're always going to be able to get help, for example, you know, from a solutions engineer or pre-sales engineer to, to, to give a really good and knowledgeable demo, you're going to usually be able to get help from a, a leader or somebody to help you close while you're learning to close. But very rarely do you have access to resources to help you grow your pipeline. It, it, that's usually upon yourself. So I think somebody that can go out and learn how to do that without the pressure of everything else, it, it just gives you the ability to really hone in on that super crucial skill element. That's going to serve you throughout your entire career. And even if you choose to do something, if you, many sales reps, right, eventually become maybe small business owners and they'd start their own business, well, prospecting, right? I mean, that's, that's crucial to that too. So uh, I think it gives you the bandwidth to focus on just that. It's a super crucial thing to develop. Um, and one of the other things that's interesting is I recently had a conversation with an STR who's doing really well that their company is saying, Hey, now it's time to go be an AE, go be an AE. And, and he's like, but I feel like I I, I would benefit from being an STR for another six months. Like I'm doing well in relation to my peers, but I, there's still things that about driving pipeline that I don't know that I feel I need to work on. And I told him, Hey, like, you know, you make that decision for yourself, but it's not a wrong decision to say, no, I, I want to continue um, being an SDR for a few more months because I really want to hone this pipeline and prospecting skill because, again, that you're going to need that skill universally no matter what it is you choose to go do in the future. So I'm super excited that, that companies are sort of, you know, uh, bifurcating that because I think it's good for the company, but also because it gives this huge training ground for people that want to get into sales without the crushing, like, Uh, Stress, potential stress of needing to be full cycle, carry a number right away, Uh, even if it's rent. Right. But you're still carrying a number. Um, But in the end, learn and focus on that really key element of that's going to set them up for for future success. And by the way, if you're full cycle AE and you're like, well, no, I can tackle it and and prospect and, and get whatever. Your opportunities to practice discovery meetings and your opportunities to practice closing and presentations uh, are limited by the number uh, of the size of your pipeline. So if if you head into it thinking, "Hey, I'm going to learn everything at once," you're kind of learning everything more slowly because it's limited by the bandwidth of your ability to produce pipeline to put you at play at the you know at bat to practice discovery. Versus if you just spent six to twelve months really becoming a, a pipeline machine when you transition to that AE role and now you can really drive a good number of opportunities, that gives you more at-bats to practice you know, the other skills, practically speaking too, right? So uh, you can't talk about, I, I like game theory and math. So it's like, yes. okay, yeah. but how, do you, how do you translate that down, right? So that's why I think the SDR role is exciting. If if it existed 17 years ago when I first started, that would have been the role that that I, I would have gone into. Um, and so fast forward, if I was – Restarting. If I was you know, never in sales and I was starting a sales career right now, um, even at, at my age, like I would still go and do that.
0: Well, the interesting thing is that um, now we're seeing the rise of the career SDR, right? Some organizations realize the benefit of an individual who is really good at developing pipeline and maybe the skill gaps of other full cycles, right? Um, where you have an opportunity to potentially keep doing that work. You don't have to make that leap all the way right you don't have to you don't have to go from sdr to ae to you know entrepreneur Uh, you you can you can just be an sdr um do you have any advice for someone who might be interested in running that career path um always curious to hear people's thoughts on this there's some companies that are paying pretty well for you know like true seats at the table executive leadership positions they are all they do is run a team of sdrs for example um what what do you say to someone who might be interested in that
1: yeah, you know, I think so. First off, I was in and, um, you know, I've talked to people about, I've talked to unfortunately some STRs that have expressed frustration that they feel less than they're, or they're made to feel less than, you know, one recently on a call said that she feels like her AEs treat her like she's their assistant.
0: Yes. So, <laughs> had a lot
1: number one, if you're an AE and you're doing that, and you're listening to this, like, stop that. Like, yeah. just stop. They're that. not your assistant, <laughs> they should be your business partner. Yes. Right? That's how you need to view them. But to any, you know, SDRs out there is number one, you need to, you know, my advice, if you want to, if you think that this type of work and this area of the sales cycle is where you want to build a career, um, or at least one for, you know, a period of time, number one, you have to get in the mindset that you're not less than, right? You're crucial. And and, and by the way, why, why would a company want to have like a dedicated team of prospectors? It's because they know that their team it's a difficult, and that their team is mean, not is not generating good results. So you just because you don't go close the business, like doesn't mean that you're you're less than. So you know you have that frame of mind that hey you have an equal um, share of the success of getting these deals done um, because you can you know phrase that somebody told me ten years ago or longer ago was you know we kind of hear that old idiom right selling ice to Eskimos. Well, you can sell ice to Eskimos, but if you have no Eskimos to talk to, like. Who cares? It doesn't matter. So that number one mindset shift of hey, you are a crucial part and you're equal, you know, to the the later stage AEs in that. Number two is really understanding, you know, what are you are what are you motivated by? And I think a lot of these SDR leaders, at least the ones I've chatted with or I've come to know on LinkedIn and so on, is they are hugely motivated by uh, helping others who are new to the sales field that are breaking in via STR find their passion and love for selling and they want to kind of pass that along when I first became a sales leader uh, in that first year in leadership role, my wife uh, I remember uh, she came to me she, she asked why why did, why are you a sales leader and I'm like what do you mean? she's like well you, you make a little bit less money because I believe that of comp plan your top performer should always make more than their manager so it's like you make less money and you have 10 times the responsibility like why? So why do it? Like, why don't you just go back to being you know a frontline independent producer? And I told her, well, because I love helping others yeah. grow. I love I love enabling them to come into the profession, or if they felt stuck, they've been in it for a few years and they're kind of stagnant, help them like you know, find that that fire again and go on. And I think a lot of especially because SDRs will generally be uh, you know less experienced or maybe new for like break into sales type of people. Hey, if you have that passion for enabling others to do that, then certainly that, you know, that career or that SDR leader type of role may be a good fit for you. So really understanding like what it is that you want to progress to in forms of, of leadership um, and, and sort of contributing back at a larger scale to an organization is crucial You know to think about as well. But you know, I mean, I, I'm excited to see, you know, um, these more like head of sales development or head of of um you know pipeline and things like that type of of roles coming out Uh, i think it's it's probably too late it's it's been a long time coming um and you know if you're looking if you think that's a viable career path you know figure out number one why you would want to do it and what are you motivated by and and what would that mean right because again you're probably dealing with more junior folks or or entry-level folks and number two that mindset of it's not you're not taking a less than leadership role. Yeah. Right. Um and you know, is is that role actually formulated to be that way? Right? Are you more of a, a co-manager or co-leader of the whole revenue engine that exists versus you know a leader of assistance? Um and culturally speaking, right, finding a, a place that that aligns in the opposite direction culturally that no the SCRs aren't assistance to the AEs. They're the, they're we're all kind of that same partnership to, to drive revenue forward.
0: Yeah. And that's crucial, right? Like if you're going to take that step, make sure that the culture of the business you're working for is, uh, is aligned. Cause, uh, i made those mistakes in the past. I get super passionate about a product or service and maybe, you know, forgot about some of those steps along the way or role that I think I can do versus like the actual culture of the company. Um, that's fantastic. So two more questions and I'm going to land the plane here. I know we're getting tight on schedule. I could talk to you for a long time, Dale. Uh, like I, I just, I just love your enthusiasm and alignment on some of this stuff. Uh, so the first one is if people want to get in touch with you, how can, how can people reach out and learn more about what you're up to your community, your coaching, um, is LinkedIn. What's the best place for people to get a hold uh, of you? Uh,
1: yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm active on all kinds of social media, but LinkedIn, uh, you'll probably be the the best one to, to find me directly. Um, you know, my profile there. Uh, I'm also on, on TikTok, uh, TikTok and Instagram, um, you know, on those platforms. But, and if you just want to kind of uh, learn a little bit more about, you know, uh, myself directly in terms of my coaching and the things that I do, then, uh, you know, my website is salesmasterycoaching.com. And you can head over there and find more. But, you know, to get access to kind of my perspective and how I feel about sales, uh, I would say LinkedIn and my content that I post there is probably uh, your best bet.
0: Amazing. And then last question for every guest, and we'll try to get you right out because we got to get to the next, next co- uh, uh, call here is if you had an extra $10,000, usually we'd say to invest in a team. But in this case, let's go back to the question. To invest in yourself, an extra $10,000 to invest in yourself, where would you put it and why uh, in the next year? Oh, that's a great question. So if I had an extra ten,
1: um I would invest it in um, probably – another coach and and a coach specifically on social selling because I think um, for me as a solopreneur, um, it's definitely uh, something that needs to be part of the strategy, but I think that it's an element that's going to become increasingly important, especially as, you know, the whole work from home and remote work thing continues to grow and grow the opportunity for us to, make those connections at in-person events will will decrease and decrease. And so how do you go and, and, and build this, this social selling engine? Um, also, I think the exercise of social selling, for me at least, um, helps clarify like who you are, who, what your point of view is, and, and what value, your perspective, your personality. So if I had an extra 10, probably go and invest in uh, some, although I'm doing some of that already, somebody that can help me kind of get to the next level with it um, is where I probably put some of that money.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Dale. Uh, really, really appreciate your thoughts. Uh, thank you for joining on the show.